trust in governments worldwide is plummeting. Now, how surprising is that? Their response is an even more desperate grab for control by waging war on what they disdainfully label as misinformation and disinformation. In simpler terms, truths that inconvenience them. Recent revelations from a subcommittee hearing on the weaponization of the federal government have laid bare the alarming lengths to which these authorities are willing to go to silence dissent. It's not just concerning, it's downright terrifying. We're not just going to rehash what was said. I'm here to arm you with the knowledge and tools to stand up against this wave of online censorship. This isn't just another podcast to scroll past, it's a call to arms. A blueprint for resisting a system that's increasingly bent on muffling your voice under the guise of protecting you from falsehoods. Wake up and see this for what it is, a blatant assault on your freedom to think, question, and challenge. If you care about preserving the essence of liberty and safeguarding your rights in the digital age, staying tuned isn't just recommended. It's essential. Let's dive into the thick of it without mincing words. The introduction didn't overstate the situation. There's a political committee holed up on Capitol Hill, set up with the express purpose of dissecting how the government might be turning its own tools against its people. Dubbed into existence since January last year, this committee has become a hotbed of controversy. Not for its mere existence, but because it seems fixated on throwing darts at the current administration's deployment of government might. The result? A partisan echo chamber that, for the most part, spews content that barely merits a second glance. But don't let that noise distract you from the substance that occasionally pierces through the cacophony. Today... We're zeroing in on a particular hearing that cuts deeper than the usual partisan jab. This session throws the spotlight on the U.S. federal government's alleged investment in the development of AI-powered censorship and propaganda machinery, tools that could enable both governments and Silicon Valley giants to surveil and silence speech on an unprecedented scale. The trigger for this alarming discussion? A revelatory piece by the Daily Caller last February, which accused the National Science Foundation an entity that's supposed to operate independently, of funneling $40 million into technologies aimed at online censorship. This isn't just another bureaucratic shuffle or a dry policy debate. It's a glaring red flag signaling a potential assault on the very fabric of free speech and democracy. If the thought of a government agency bankrolling the machinery of censorship doesn't send chills down your spine, it's time to recalibrate your censors. We're standing at a critical juncture where the line between safeguarding society and suppressing dissent threatens to blur into oblivion. It's not just an issue for tech geeks or policy wonks. It's a clarion call for anyone who values the cornerstone principles of freedom and open discourse. Let's get real for a moment and address the elephant in the room. Caitlin Richardson, the journalist behind this groundbreaking report, isn't just throwing around baseless claims. She's sounding the alarm on what she terms the censorship industrial complex, a disturbing convergence of U.S. government funding and AI research aimed at policing what can and cannot be said. And guess what? The U.S. isn't alone in this endeavor. Governments worldwide are hopping on the censorship bandwagon, crafting laws designed to keep you in check online. Details. They're in the description, but let's not digress too much. At the heart of this hearing, Caitlin stood alongside three other witnesses each bringing their own explosive insights to the table. There's Greg Lukianoff, a stalwart defender of individual rights. Lee Fang, the investigative journalist who cracked open the Twitter files, exposing the cozy relationship between big tech and government agencies and suppressing dissent. And Norman Eisen, 
a former U.S. ambassador, with his own take on the matter. The lineup alone tells you this isn't just another day on Capitol Hill. Let's be crystal clear. The underlying motivations for this hearing might well be tangled in a web of political strategy, yet the facts laid bare in this forum are of monumental importance, transcending political affiliations or geographic boundaries. We're talking about a toolkit of surveillance and censorship, potent enough to make Orwell's big brother blush, tools that could, in theory, be wielded by any administration against any target. So before you raise a toast to the silencing of voices you find disagreeable, remember this. The machinery of censorship is indiscriminate and insatiable. Today's sanctioned silence could very well morph into tomorrow's gag order against you. Think you're safe because you play the middle ground or stay out of the fray? History begs to differ, painting a grim portrait of power's propensity to push boundaries to expand its reach until the unthinkable becomes commonplace. We're standing on the precipice of a world where the very notion of free speech is being recalibrated by those in power. If you're not yet convinced that this matters, irrespective of where you stand on the political spectrum, it's time to wake up. The future of discourse, of dissent, of democracy itself hangs in the balance. Let's not sugarcoat the pill here. You're being told that the train has left the station, that the die is cast, and there's no turning back from the Orwellian future we're hurtling towards. But let's not be passive observers to our own demise. The recent hearing, as it unfolded, shed light on a stark reality that should have every single one of us on edge. Jim Jordan wasn't just filling airtime, he was cataloging a chilling series of collaborations between the U.S. government and big tech, partnerships aimed at silencing voices under the guise of moderation. The list was exhaustive, a testament to the pervasive reach of this unholy alliance. Jordan didn't stop there. He brought up a damning report highlighting how the U.S. government had been leaning on Amazon to scrub certain books from its virtual shelves during the pandemic. Think about that for a moment. Books, historically the vessels of dissent, knowledge, and innovation, being purged from the digital public square at the behest of those in power. It gets worse. The advent of generative AI, according to Jordan, isn't just a technological marvel. It's the new frontier in the censorship saga. Quoting from studies backed by U.S. government funding, he exposed a harrowing vision. Tools designed to bypass legal accountability by offloading censorship duties to algorithms. The impersonal, automated nature of this setup doesn't just blur the lines of responsibility, it erases them. The most harrowing revelation? Some of these studies aim to single out minorities in rural populations, Groups often perceived as harboring dissenting views or valuing principles over governmental authority. The rationale? These communities represent a problem that needs addressing. And the solution? A dystopian apparatus that preemptively muzzles your voice, censoring your words before they even make it onto the screen. This isn't just about policy disagreements or partisan politics. It's an existential threat to the very principles of freedom and democracy. The notion of proactive censorship of an unseen hand stifling your speech before it can even be articulated is something out of a dark, speculative fiction. Yet here we are, staring down the barrel of this grim reality. To sit back and accept this as inevitable is to surrender to a future where our voices are no longer our own, where dissent is not just discouraged but eradicated before it can take root. This isn't a call to despair, it's a call to action. 
The fight for our right to speak, to challenge, to think freely is far from over. If anything, it's just begun. The discourse at the World Economic Forum's annual gatherings isn't just idle chatter among the global elite. These meetings serve as a petri dish for the kinds of Orwellian ideas that are slowly but surely seeping into the fabric of global governance. But let's pivot back to the hearing where the political theater continued to unfold. Enter Stacey Placid, who promptly dismissed Jim Jordan's alarming revelations as nothing more than conspiracy theories. Frustrated by what she perceived as a redundant discussion, Plasse was quick to point the finger back at the previous administration, accusing it of the very weaponization of government power currently under scrutiny. This predictable volley of partisan talking points might have set the stage, but it was the witnesses' testimonies that truly pulled back the curtain on the burgeoning threat of a censorship industrial complex. Caitlin Richardson took the stand, doubling down on the chilling reality that The U.S. government isn't just dabbling in censorship, it's investing in it, nurturing it into an industry in its own right, reminiscent of the burgeoning crypto compliance sector, designed to bow to the whims of the Financial Action Task Force. Despite confronting these institutions head-on, Caitlin's concerns were met with a marketing blitz, painting censorship as a necessary sacrifice at the altar of democracy a convenient cover for what amounts to an encroachment on our fundamental freedoms. Then there was Lee shedding light on the technological juggernaut that is AI and its capacity to enable censorship on a scale we've never seen before. His insights gleaned from the infamous Twitter files reveal a tangled web of collusion between Big Pharma and the tech giants, united in their efforts to dictate the narrative and silence dissent under the guise of public safety. This isn't a mere conspiracy theory or a speculative dystopia. It's the reality we're living in, where the specter of censorship looms larger by the day, facilitated by an unholy alliance of government power, technological might, and corporate interests. The attempts to brand these developments as protective measures for democracy are not just disingenuous, they're dangerous, a smokescreen for the systematic dismantling of the very principles democracy stands for. As we navigate this minefield, it's crucial to remember The battle for the soul of our public discourse is far from over. The emergence of a censorship industrial complex underpinned by the advancements in AI represents a crossroads for society. Will we choose the path of convenience and control, or will we stand up for the messiness and freedom that true democracy demands? The choice is ours, and the time to act is now. Lee went on to articulate how tools originally crafted for combating terrorism have insidiously been repurposed to surveil and control the very citizens they were meant to protect. His plea for bipartisan oversight in the use of these tools underscores the gravity of the situation, a clarion call to safeguard democratic values against the whims of transient political power. Greg, the third witness, provided a compelling narrative on the front lines of the battle for free speech, representing the foundation for individual rights and expression, Greg highlighted their unwavering commitment to defending free expression across the ideological spectrum. He posited that the challenges faced thus far might soon be dwarfed by the emerging complexities AI introduces into the fray. Delving into the concept of AI alignment, Greg elucidated the nuanced difference between theoretical intentions and practical applications, often skewed towards governmental directives. Yet, he remains optimistic about AI's potential to further democratize speech, drawing a parallel to the transformative impact of the internet and, historically, the printing press. 
However, this optimistic future hinges on AI's development within a landscape of freedom and minimal regulatory interference, cautioning against the dual threats of censorship and stymieing American technological advancement. Norman's contribution to the discourse starkly contrasted with his predecessors, embodying the partisan fervor often associated with such hearings. Asserting the legitimacy of governmental collaboration with big tech and AI entities, Norman's stance championed the authority of the state to engage with and fund AI initiatives as it sees fit. His announcement of a scholarship for exploring AI and democracy perhaps seeks to further institutionalize this perspective, yet it starkly highlights the divergent visions of AI's role in society. These testimonies collectively paint a complex tableau of the current discourse surrounding AI, free speech, and governance. They reflect a crossroads where technological innovation intersects with foundational democratic principles, challenging us to envision a future that cherishes freedom and innovation in equal measure. The dialogue underscores the imperative of vigilant, nonpartisan stewardship to navigate the precarious balance between leveraging AI for public good and safeguarding individual rights against the encroachments of an omnipotent surveillance state. The interrogation phase of the hearing took a profound turn with Thomas Massey's inquiry, which peeled back another layer of the government's foray into AI-enabled censorship. Lee's revelation was nothing short of astonishing a covert program deploying AI bots on social media platforms designed to counteract and argue against individuals flagged for disseminating what the government deems misinformation or disinformation. This tactic of using government-funded AI bots to flood your posts with contrarian views if you express opinions out of line with official narratives unveils a new frontier in the manipulation of public discourse. While the subsequent questions from politicians like Jerry Connolly, Matt Gates, and Debbie Wasserman Schultz devolved into the expected partisan rhetoric, the essence of this hearing transcends such divisions, highlighting concerns that affect the very fabric of democratic engagement. Kelly Armstrong's questioning further exposed the depth of the government's investment in censorship research, spotlighting a particularly insidious grant aimed at grooming the next generation of workers in the disinformation battleground. Caitlin's confirmation of a summer internship program focused on identifying so-called misinformation, especially around elections, is a chilling testament to the lengths to which these initiatives are being taken. This focus on elections is especially alarming in a year when billions of people worldwide will participate in this cornerstone democratic process. The implication that these efforts are designed to favor status quo candidates over others raises profound questions about the integrity of democratic processes and the role of technology in either safeguarding or undermining them. The conspicuous absence of initiatives like transparent blockchain voting systems only adds to the skepticism about the true motives behind these governmental actions. The dialogue then circled back to an intriguing point Lee made in his opening statement, referencing a past hearing from 2012 that delved into the U.S. government's funding of censorship programs. This historical context underscores that the issues at hand are not new, but part of a longer trajectory of governmental overreach into the digital realm. The revelations from this hearing sketch a daunting picture of a world where AI, rather than serving as a tool for empowerment and liberation, is co-opted into a mechanism of control and surveillance. The discourse reveals a battleground where the fight for the soul of the internet and free speech is being waged, not on the fringes, but at the very heart of governmental policy and action. As we grapple with these revelations, 
The call for vigilant, informed, and principled resistance to such overreach has never been more critical. The future of democracy may well depend on the outcome of this struggle. Jim's acknowledgement cast a spotlight on the cyclical nature of political power dynamics, underscoring that the pursuit of online censorship is not the preserve of any single political faction. Indeed, what was once championed by one side of the aisle has now found favor with the other, illustrating a perilous game of control that transcends party lines. Greg's subsequent commentary was a poignant reminder of this fickleness, warning against the short-sighted celebration of censorship tools simply because they currently target ideological adversaries. The underlying message was clear. Today's tool of suppression against one's opponents could easily become tomorrow's gag against oneself. John Ami's contribution, though marred by partisan biases, unearthed the intriguing revelation of Plan 2025, a strategic initiative purportedly spearheaded by conservative interest groups aiming to remodel the U.S. government. This disclosure is crucial not for its partisan origins, but for shedding light on the broader phenomenon of global political orchestration. The sensation that opposition movements worldwide might be mere extensions of the existing power structure gains credence with the observation that many newly elected opposition leaders maintain ties with influential entities like the World Economic Forum. While Plan 2025 and the WEF's electoral machinations appear separate, with the former linked to the Heritage Foundation, This interplay between various actors underscores the intricate dance of influence and ambition on the world stage. Further discourse led to the examination of NewsGuard, an entity tasked with assessing the credibility of news sources. Lee's insights revealed NewsGuard as a burgeoning player in the disinformation industry, armed with military contracts and a significant role in shaping media narratives on foreign policy. This development echoes historical precedents set by programs like Operation Mockingbird, where media manipulation was employed for propaganda during the Cold War. Though officially terminated in the 1970s, the specter of such operations lingers, suggesting a continuity of media influence tactics into the present. The session, punctuated by further partisan interrogations from figures like Sylvia Garcia, Dan Bishop, and Dan Goldman continued to unravel the complex tapestry of political, military, and media entanglements. This discourse, while often sidetracked by partisan interests, peels back layers of a deeper truth. The ongoing struggle over the narrative is not merely a contest of facts, but a battle for the control of the very channels through which reality is perceived and understood. In this arena, the tools of censorship, influence, and information control remain potent weapons wielded with strategic intent, pointing to a continuing saga of power plays that shape the contours of global governance and public discourse. Jim's interjection served as a critical pause in the proceedings, highlighting a startling admission. Despite governmental pressures, big tech companies have only complied with content takedown requests about 35% of the time. Kat Kamak sees this moment to steer the conversation back to its intended course, away from the partisan skirmishes that had so far dominated the dialogue. She emphasized that the hearing's core issue, digital authoritarianism emanating from the U.S. government, transcends political divides, affecting every citizen's digital liberties. Yet, despite her efforts to elevate the discourse, partisan tendencies persisted, diluting the gravity of the concerns at hand. Warren Davidson's contribution shifted the focus to an underexplored yet vital aspect of governmental control, 
the push towards a digital ID system. This move, while ostensibly aimed at enhancing security and efficiency, raises profound questions about privacy, surveillance, and the potential for misuse. Greg's subsequent testimony offered a stark metric of censorship's escalation, noting the unprecedented dismissal of college professors across the political spectrum, a purge not seen since the 1930s. This academic culling, particularly during the pandemic, has inadvertently paved the way for a dystopian application of AI in censorship, spearheaded by those who conform to the prevailing narrative. Russell Fry's observation that one must actively seek government grants for censorship research implies a premeditated willingness among some academics and technologists to engage in the suppression of dissent. This realization led to a crucial query from Fry to Greg on how to counteract the rise of censorship. Greg's response was illuminating. The antidote to this creeping authoritarianism is not further regulation, which could entrench centralization and control, but rather decentralization. By dispersing the development and control of AI, we safeguard against the concentration of censorship power in the hands of a few. The discourse then turned towards actionable strategies for individuals to combat online censorship. The key lies not in the act of truth-telling alone, but in the manner of its delivery. A calm, collected approach, supported by reasoned arguments and empirical evidence, stands a better chance of piercing through the noise without triggering the mechanisms of censorship. This method, while seemingly simple, demands a disciplined reframing of how we engage in digital spaces. A reminder that the battle for free expression is not just fought in hearings and policy forms, but in every post, comment, and tweet we craft. In the spirited pursuit of safeguarding free speech within the digital age, it is imperative to approach the matter with both strategic forethought and a keen understanding of the nuanced dynamics at play. The essence of free speech, particularly within the United States, enjoys a robust constitutional safeguard, yet the global landscape presents a more complex patchwork of freedoms and restrictions. The sage advice to pick your battles wisely cannot be overstated. The digital expanse, particularly platforms like Twitter, is replete with quixotic engagements that, more often than not, yield little beyond ephemeral satisfaction. The engagement with government-backed AI bots, for instance, serves as a cautionary tale of the futility inherent in certain forms of online activism. The emphasis, therefore, should be on meaningful discourse aimed at audiences open to dialogue and reflection. While the prospect of finding such receptivity among politicians may seem daunting, the focus should ideally shift towards cultivating understanding within one's immediate circles, thereby fostering a ripple effect of awareness and critical thought. Moreover, the advent of AI-driven censorship delineates a clear demarcation between platforms susceptible to governmental influence and those that remain bastions of free expression. The importance of engaging in diverse, real-world interactions cannot be understated, not only as a bulwark against censorship, but also as a safeguard against the insularity of echo chambers. Vigilance and active participation are essential in countering the creeping normalcy of digital authoritarianism, lest apathy allow it to encroach unchallenged into every facet of discourse. The exploration of alternative platforms emerges as a crucial strategy in circumventing the tightening noose of censorship. While centralized platforms with a commitment to free speech face increasing scrutiny and regulatory pressure, decentralized platforms offer a viable refuge for unfiltered discourse. This shift is not merely a matter of preference, but a necessary adaptation to preserve the integrity of public dialogue. At the heart of this struggle lies the fundamental principle of free speech, a cornerstone of democratic society enshrined in the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. 
The vitality of free speech extends beyond the mere act of expression. It is the bedrock upon which the edifice of truth, reality, and societal coherence rests. The erosion of this foundational right heralds a descent into discord and disarray, underscoring the imperative of electoral engagement. The act of voting for champions of free speech transcends partisan considerations, embodying a crucial defense against the encroachment of censorship. As we navigate the landscape of digital freedom and control, the collective responsibility to uphold the sanctity of free speech becomes ever more pressing. The choices made today in forums of dialogue and at the ballot box will shape the contours of discourse and democracy for generations to come. And with that, we draw this episode to a close. If you found value in what we've discussed, if you're eager for more deep dives and insightful analysis, I encourage you to hit that subscribe button. Stay connected, stay informed, and be part of this ongoing dialogue. For those of you craving even deeper exploration, I have barely scratched the surface. There's a wealth of exclusive content, detailed analyses, and special features waiting for you on my Substack link is in the description. For my paid subscribers, I go beyond the surface, uncovering more layers, offering more insights, and providing you with the knowledge and perspective you need to understand these complex times. Thank you once again for listening. Your engagement, your curiosity, and your willingness to explore these issues make all the difference. Until next time, keep questioning, keep seeking, and always strive to understand the world around us. This is Lily, signing off.